Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having the shit scared out of me. Wait, what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist and I love talking about horror movies and mental health. <laughs> we love horror films for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, aka how crazy we are, and the role the horror genre can play in our self-care, we started a podcast called Psycho Analysis. Every episode, we talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in mental health and wellness, whether it's a deep dive or a shorter episode of a movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. But not in a weird way. Unless we're talking about hot horror sweaters, because then it is very weird. True. Very weird. <laughs> Our episodes drop every Thursday on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out how, how horror can, can heal. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host for this special episode, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and I'm not alone in uh, our Vegas suite uh, as we're <laughs> watching the celebration that's going downstairs. Uh, who else is uh, here with me? Well, this is Jen. Let's go shopping, Adams. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that's a fitting line because we're talking to uh, the uh, person who said that line yeah. uh, today. As you, if you couldn't tell from reading the title of this episode on your iPhone or wherever you're getting your podcast, we are speaking to Catherine McNamara, who is playing Julie Lowry in CBS's mm -hmm. All Access is the Stand. I think I just said CBS's All Access is the oh. Stand. So uh, interesting. <laughs> like Attorney go General, it. it works. Yeah. Yes. Or like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or whatever. Yes, but, totally. Oh, Lord. Well, look, we're having so much fun here in the introduction, and it's gonna it, it, it's fitting because we had a lot of fun talking to Catherine. Uh, she yes. is an absolute constant listener and constant reader. Uh, she has a lot of great insights into the character of Julie, in addition to the work of Stephen King, and I just had so much fun talking to her. I mean, yes. this is... It was just blown away by, you know, our, our little chat that we had um, just hours after the impeachment. Uh, interesting. So uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. to get into that. But uh, yeah. So but yeah, I mean, look, we can talk for days about it, but we might as well just get right into it. So what do you think about that? Do you think we should just go to the interview. I think we should just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah, is a delight. So. Well, we'll see you on the other side. Oh, you can't hear me, can you? you know what? How about I try something a little louder? Hello. Hi. Hey, Hi. how you doing? Good, how are you? Oh, I'm good. It's been uh, <laughs> a crazy day uh, <laughs> if, uh, you know, for everyone living in this country right now. Uh, but, you know, it's been entertaining, to say the least. So, um, Indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally appreciate you having us on, you know, having on the show. This is awesome. Um, we've just been so overwhelmed by your performance. It's been such a joy to watch on screen. Um, and oh, I'm honored. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Well, you know, I, I figured, why don't we just start with the beginning? Um, and I know you're a Stephen King fan, so I just I wanted to ask, you know, what your earliest memories of Stephen King uh, are. And, you know, was it maybe through film or books that you read early on? Uh, where did you start? It, it was sort of simultaneous for me. I've been a voracious reader my whole life. And, uh, you know, so books and stories that come from books always have a huge significance for me. But I think my earliest experience with Stephen King was actually through film. Um, and in my family, I have two, two, two people that really uh, gave me my film education, in, especially in this genre. So my mom loved horror movies. So I grew up, she watches horror movies every Saturday morning. And so I grew oh, up, wow. nice. just who she is. Um, but I grew up watching these horror movies on Saturday mornings with her. And so I always had a love for the genre. And my grandfather is a huge cinephile as well. So I grew up watching movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and all throughout with him. And uh, Carrie was the first iteration of a Stephen King story that they showed me. Um, I also, I'm a natural ginger. So seeing (laughs) a character like Sissy Spacek as Carrie was so astronomical for me because it was so haunting and powerful and and twisted in so many ways. Um, And I absolutely fell in love with it. And I I think it's a large part of why I fell in love with the horror genre in general. Um, But then I, I, you know, started reading the books and, and exploring different other worlds of his um but you know between carrie and the stand and it i i'm just have been obsessed my whole life (laughs) yeah no there's something about his works that just seems so universal i mean we've been doing this podcast for like four years now and i'm always surprised each year just the you know different types of people we meet that are so obsessed with his work and, you know, we've talked to like professors, we've talked to, um, you know, people that, that, you know, that like politicians are in on his work. I mean, it's just interesting. Like he's mm-hmm. just, he has that appeal. And I always wonder, you know, because everyone has, you know, different relationships to the the work, you know, the, some people like the characters, some people like the small town atmosphere, some people like the monsters, to be frank. But uh, what, what was it about his work that like, you know, was attractive to you? But it, and it's not a lot about this, too, throughout the process of crafting Julie and working on the stand and, and sort of exploring what it is that is so universal about Stephen King. And for me, it always goes back to the characters mm-hmm. and, and the fact that he not only are each of his characters so in-depth and so, you know, well filled out and and have so much nuance to each one of them, but it's the way in which he uses the characters to illustrate the fact that you know, most of the time, the scariest elements are what is within each person and sort mm-hmm. of the dark side of humanity, as opposed to whatever monsters lurking around the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, and he's so good at being able to kind of show that you know, there's nuance to people, okay. you know, like, it's not just like, well, everyone's just born monster, you know, I mean, some people are in his books, but for the most part, he does try to kind of find that that sort of gray area where someone, you know, people have choice almost, you know? Um, exactly. And that's yeah. something when, when we were on the set of The Stand that I kept having these conversations with just about every cast member I encountered. All of us were so ecstatic to be there because each one of us had a character that could support a story of their own in mm-hmm. how well developed they were. And then you put all of these actors that are so excited to be have a have a character they can sink their teeth into together in an absurd world of Stephen King and let us play. I mean, we run amok. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. totally. Totally. I mean, when we first meet Julie, I mean, she's 
pretty much at that crossroads in a way. I mean, and, and it's, it's, and that's why I kind of love about it. And, you know, it's not explicit to the point where you're like, okay, well, she's clearly evil. Like, it's like, no, I mean, someone who's lonely, who pretty much just is having fun right now and is excited to meet people. And, you know, there really does feel like she could go either way. And I guess I'd ask like you, I mean, when you're coming into the character, why do you think she ultimately chose Vegas? I think for Julie, the way I always approached her, because, you know, at her core, she is a villain. We know this. She's not a very nice person. Uh, but I, I'm a person that I have to find a way to humanize any character mm -hmm. I play in order to make them have some sense of reality and not to justify anything that she does. But I, I had to sit there and think, well, well, what is it? Why? What made her this way? How did she get to this point? And in my head, she was someone who spent her entire life dreaming and wishing for her life to be better, for her life to be, you know, something more extravagant, to have some kind of luxury that she saw in movies and read about in magazines and this sort of glam that she always desired and that ultimately is what Randall Flagg's world of Vegas is it's the world of gluttony the world of excess the world of extravagance and and glamour and every sort of temptation of life you can the people in Vegas feel as though they can really live every fantasy that they ever had dreamed and that's sort of the seduction of his world for Julie yeah mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I've been loving about the adaptation is seeing you kind of bring her to life and adding that nuance to the character because she's got a little bit more of a meaty role in this adaptation. And um, so I was just curious, like, she's also, she's kind of manipulating Lloyd a little bit, which I am finding <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> um, so what do, you, what do you see as her goal in Vegas? Like, what is, what is her plan, you know? Well, ultimately, we saw this a little bit with you know um tom and uh nick we saw this a little bit with tom and nick but when julie's in that world she wants to find her place and she wants to mm -hmm. find a connection and she wants to belong somewhere and when she gets to vegas she sees this opportunity to climb and i i had this sort of inclination that julie is a lot smarter than she lets on mm -hmm. uh, you know she is a woman who has fought through not only a pandemic a disease and who knows what else she had to fight through to survive and and have a place to sort of shelter as resourceful as as her place was you mm -hmm. know i'm sure she saw a lot of horrors on her way there and had to fight her way and make a lot of difficult choices and i i think julie has this sort of fascination with randall flag himself and this almost worship of him and and fancies herself not knowing that nadine exists fancies herself <laughs> a little bit of a persephone of a sense mm -hmm. and will do anything, step on anyone, climb over anyone in order to get to that place. And that's what's so fascinating because I don't necessarily think that's present in the novel. And I love that this is kind of an evolution of the character. So I'm wondering, like, how did you approach this role knowing that you would be able to give it a little bit more life and you would be able to kind of put more of a stamp on Julie? What I love about this adaptation of Julie is that they did give her a few more colors than we get to see in the novel of the sense mm -hmm. that as you know, I knew they were expanding the role as I got more scripts and it's it gives a nice opportunity to show a woman who is very feminine and uses her her, you know, seduction techniques and, and her 
womanly qualities as almost mm-hmm. a weapon of her own, which mm-hmm. is not something we see from a lot of the other characters in the stand. And it's it's presents a character that a character of that stereotype would normally be very one dimensional, gives a chance to show, well, you can have intelligence and also be frivolous and also love sequins and fur and, (laughs) you know, find a way to, to be this um, woman who just wants to live a life of luxury, but also Mm -hmm. have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, because everyone uh, kind of brings in some sort of autobiographical detail sometimes with performances. And so I wondered, do you relate to her character at all? Or like, <laughs> is this the furthest from your own persona? This is definitely the furthest from my own persona. You know, I, I spent the last probably almost 10 years playing heroes and playing yeah. characters <laughs> that have such heart and are, are literally superheroes sometimes. And it was very interesting to go from an experience where I was making character choices that felt right <laughs> as a person and with my own integrity <laughs> to making mm. character choices that make me feel like the grossest, worst possible human being. <laughs> and have that be the right choice for the character. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I guess if I relate to anything in Julie, um, other than her love of good shoes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, you know, if there's anything this year that I've related to her on, it's everybody gets lonely when the world kind of changes and yeah. you feel so isolated. There's this sense of, of, yearning for human connection that you know at a certain point will almost do anything to get it yeah yeah Yeah, there's a moment where in the first scene where julie is meeting nick and tom where like i think you kind of start to see that veil um slip a little bit and you can just tell that she's just lonely and one thing that i love and we talked about this in our episode is the wardrobe almost kind of reinforces that because what would you do if you had nothing to do in a town like you would doll yourself up because what else are you gonna do and i am curious because the, the wardrobe is just fantastic and i'm just <laughs> loving it and the pink hair is beautiful too so did you have any input in that and did you and is there anything you would maybe like to wear again or keep <laughs> oh I wish I had all of Julie's wardrobe I, I <laughs> would like to track it down at some point but the pink hair I actually didn't know about until a few days before and oh wow uh, yeah I got a phone call from the hair department saying so we're dying your hair pink and this is what's oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow I was terrified a little bit I mean I I love being a chameleon and I'll, I'll do anything for a role when it comes to mm-hmm. changing Appearance, but I've never had a hair color that's not sort of a natural one. And uh, it, it was a, a really fun learning experience and a fun couple of months. And I actually really enjoyed it. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's it's fun to have a hair color that's so wild that you just kind of can't deny it. And it's yeah. just, you're just wearing it. Um, but as far as the wardrobe goes, I remember walking into my first fitting and they had, you know, set me in the room and said, just take a couple minutes, look through everything. We're going to finish up and we'll be right there. And they open the door and it's just this room full of tool and fur and sequins, <laughs> and also combat boots and leather and <laughs> all of these things. And it just instantly clicked in my head. That was the last piece I needed. I went, okay, I know exactly who this woman is now and we're going to have mm-hmm. So much fun. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, you mentioned you've been playing heroes for, you know, so long. But by being Julie in this time, being able to kind of, you know, flip the coin a little bit, did you find yourself having more fun than usual? I wouldn't necessarily say more fun than usual. Um, I'm just a person who generally loves my job and has a great time <laughs> no matter what I'm doing. Oh, if yeah, I'm yeah. In blood or sequins. But 
I will say it's there's a bit of a I always describe Julie as kind of the erratic Tinkerbell of the apocalypse. She just gets oh, so that's sometimes. perfect. <laughs> or or I don't know if you are familiar with musical theater at all, but mm-hmm. as soon as Nat and I got together on set, we I instantly just felt as though we were the Tenardiers from Les Mis. Uh-huh. People that are just trying to live the most ridiculously extravagant life possible and benefiting off of everyone else's suffering. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking about the scenes where you two are just walking around in Vegas and I can totally see that. That's amazing. (laughs) And Nat and I have known each other for a really long time. And so getting to work together again, it was just so much fun because the ice was broken and we could just play and go to the most ridiculous places. (laughs) Well, and on that note, because I feel like Vegas and especially the two of you are really like a bright spot of fun in a pretty serious and sometimes very dark show. Um, So what was the vibe like in Vegas and what was it like to film with everyone? It felt, it, it sort of waffled back and forth between feeling like this massive party. I mean, our background performers were just exceptional. I mean, they had 250 people who specialized in all of these various things from pole dancing to flames to Jesus. whatever else. Yeah, whatever else mm-hmm. they were. I mean, they went above and beyond to make Vegas the most extra place that they absolutely <laughs> Uh, which was so fun to even just witness. But you could tell even with the crew who'd been doing all of the Boulder stuff for so long, everybody just felt this kind of levity and this light and it became a party of the most ridiculous nature. Um, (laughs) You have to in order to kind of create that atmosphere. But then also equally at times in the later episodes, you have you know, Alex as flag lording over all of us as we're chanting these awful things <laughs> that sort of promoting and and you sort of feel what has become all too real in the last couple of weeks of how this sort of mentality can just take over and and it could very quickly get out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is weird to see the similarities between this show and just everything that's been going on the last year. And I, I imagine in in hindsight, that's very 2020, but I mean, did you, was there any, I mean, I imagine filming wrapped up pretty close to when the pandemic was, you know, inching on, was there some sort of, was there any self-awareness on set about it? Like being like, well, looks like we're going to be going into our own fiction in here (laughs) in a couple (laughs) of weeks. It's interesting because my last few days were way early in the pandemic before it had even reached this continent. Oh, interesting. Wow. And so it was just something we were tangentially hearing about and saying, oh, wow, isn't this ironic? You know, there's a there's something actually happening in the world that's kind of similar to what we're doing. This is a bit eerie. And it wasn't until a few months later when all of us were in lockdown, I was talking to some of the cast and crew while we were all in our various quarantines going, okay, didn't we just do this? Is this deja vu or what's happening? This is all <laughs> And it's only just continued. And the more now, especially, you know, there's so much of it that I didn't see of the boulder stuff with the tube neck and the bodies and everything. And and at seeing the world kind of devolve, it's very eerie. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary world. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, ultimately, yeah, ultimately what I think people will enjoy about the stand and, and what, you know, you all have touched on so wonderfully in, in your podcast is that it's about the people and what happens after it's less about the disease and more about 
rebuilding humanity and, and sort of that ultimate choice between good and evil that exists in all human situations, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess looking back in, in hindsight also, you mentioned like, you know, with 200 something people, there's got to be some sort of hunger for that again right i mean like we're just being able to kind of have that party to be able to be with everyone i mean i've, I've been finding myself kind of wrapped like wrapped in my own head when i'm watching movies now where like people are at airports or at restaurants and i'm like wait no one's wearing masks and i'm like well yeah no shit this was filmed in like 1985 mike like uh, calm down <laughs> but like it is there is like a weird yearning well not a weird yearning. i mean a, a palpable yearning now of just being like okay i know vegas is sinful but fuck i would like love to be like in a crowd like this right now um, oh 100 percent. i mean there's nothing i want more right now than you know be able to be social and go to a bar with friends or go dancing or you know do something that has any sense of normalcy and and vegas is definitely that yeah well <laughs> i had read that like even just behind the scenes it, it was you know and you just mentioned that it was a lot of fun and like there were dance parties was this pretty much like the last like social aspect of life before lockdown at this point was just filming the stand or pretty much i did another small indie film in new york right after this um and got back to los angeles the day they shut new york down Um, yeah that was a bit insane but for the most part yeah this was sort of my last hurrah for anything social and you know what a way to to kick off but (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we saw a video of you and Natalie Martinez doing the Time Warp, which I <laughs> loved, and I love that song. Um, so I imagine that there were lots of fun moments, like little anecdotes like that. So, what was your favorite memory on the set in Vegas? Oh, um, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I, I would say I think it was a lot of that. You know, we had so many wonderful experiences, and and got to bring in so many folks, and you know, even down to just getting to chat with Alex and sitting on set for hours. That's my favorite thing, just getting to know Mm. people and having these conversations in in just spending now. It's so nostalgic just sitting in a room with 10 people, spending hours and hours talking and dancing Mm -hmm. and and living, you know, whether it's five in the morning or five in the morning at the end of your day. Um, (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But I, you know, I would say between that and there's a scene and I think it's an episode five I could be mistaken it all kind of blurs together at this point uh, <laughs> but where we're entering the party for one of the first times and I believe they were playing an ACDC track just to get us all in the mood over the loudspeakers mm. this hotel and it was the first time I got to properly see the set filled with people and you know I was on Nat's arm and we were just walking through and just feeling as though we owned the place and it's mm-hmm. it was such I love an immersive set and they really, I give so much credit to the team on the stand because they went above and beyond to create this world as immersively as possible. And I'm just astounded. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a huge set. I'm just, mm-hmm. we just, I just like revisited episode six again uh, today. And it just was like, I mean, it's flabbergasted just how like the scope of the actual hotel. Cause it was, I mean, I was reading, it was like an actual like defunct hotel that they remodeled or was it like a set? Uh, it was. It was an old condemned hotel and uh, that, that was just empty. And, you know, you couldn't go out on certain balconies because they had to secure ones to make them safe that we could use. And, oh, you know, wow. Like um, little known fact, it was actually pink on the outside, which I thought was very interesting. Oh, that's very Julie. <laughs> thrilled. Uh, it is the pink palace after all. But oh, wow. I don't think we could have done it 
to that scale had they not had the space, you know, to be able to fill the pool with blood and throw some couple spare body parts in there, have (laughs) chainsaws while you have people pole dancing and breathing fire and doing all (laughs) of these other things and all manner of things all around if you really look closely. But uh, it's very different than anything I've done, but I just loved every minute of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to imagine like then actually using a real hotel for like the morning sometimes, you know, like if because uh, you know, they sometimes, you know, people take over, you know, real places sometimes and they shoot in the morning or the nights and then they have to clean up. I can't even imagine like the stuff that you were just describing <laughs> and, like at NBC <laughs> Suites or something like that. It's like, all right, well, you know, we got an hour, so let's get the chainsaws out of here and the limbs, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, so the, <laughs> the guests can wake up and everything will be normal. It's so true. I don't I don't think it would have been possible. No, no, <laughs> no. definitely not. <laughs> it would be an interesting after hours definitely yeah yeah. (laughs) well you mentioned musicals earlier and you mentioned Les Mis and so what are some of your favorites and and if you were in Rocky Horror who would you play Ooh, uh, well, I, I actually, when they did the most recent one, I was very close to being Janet, which would oh, have been wow. Oh, wow. Uh, but I grew up dancing, so I always have an affinity for Magenta as well. Mm-hmm. Nice, She's nice. my favorite. That's what my mom <laughs> played in uh, college, actually. I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, I just like look at the photos and I'm just like, man, they were so cooked out. But like, <laughs> it's just like, it's just hilarious because it's just, you know, I could see my, my dad was like, yeah, I met my, you know, I met your mother on the set of the Rocky Horror. And I was like, yeah, no shit. I know why like, she's dressed up as magenta. This is like, you know, total win-win for you, dad. But right. uh, yeah. <laughs> did you ever get a chance to see the Carrie musical? I didn't see it, but I, I think actually funny story with that. That was another one of my earliest experiences with Stephen King. I was oh, doing a Broadway show at the time and I was in New York and I actually auditioned for that, but I, I was, wow. I think I was 14 or something. So I was a bit young for what they ended up doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm a musical theater gal with red hair. They, you know, yeah. they thought, oh, let's give it, give it a go. But uh, yeah, I loved the the music for it. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of music, I, I, I wanted to mention this because, you know, we spoke to Owen Teague last week and he was saying how he had created this whole playlist that he kept listening to again and again as Harold. And I wondered if that was the case for you and if that was maybe something that happened all across the set where everyone's just listening to their own like program playlist. And it's just like a bunch of people on headphones wandering around. But, uh, you know, <laughs> didn't know if that was the case, but <laughs> we did that a bit. I know Nat had a playlist of things that he loved for uh, for Lloyd. But I, I always create playlists for characters. It's something that, you know, you can listen to on the way to set. It just puts you in the right headspace. And I, I don't know if it's because I'm a dancer, but I've always connected to music in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Julie's playlist was a lot of Britney Spears, mm-hmm. a lot of Cardi B, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, nice. and a little, bit, a little bit of heavy metal in there. Mm. That Definitely. Sense. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things that I've been particularly impressed with with your character is um, your accent. And I say that as a Nashvillian who has heard a lot of bad Southern accents. And yours is just fantastic. And I find it so authentic. Um, And I I was just wondering how you approached that. And did your Kansas City roots kind of help you with that at all? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually born in North Carolina. and Oh, really? Yeah, I lived in Georgia as well for a good portion of when I was learning to speak. So when I first Mm. learned to talk, I actually had a Southern accent. Mm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it was all just part of trying to differentiate Julie from sort of the rest of the characters as well as find a way to 
to let her eccentricities stand out in a way. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, why not just let her stick out like a pink haired sore thumb? And mm-hmm. it just felt fitting to have her just be that. She has so many awful things to say as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt as though if they were dripping with a little bit of saccharine Southern accent, it might make it a bit easier to listen to. Yeah, totally. just a little bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit of bless your heart, but also. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, well, you mentioned, you know, I mean, you did definitely say some of the worst venomous things in the show. And I wonder, was that, were you uncomfortable at all when, you know, having to kind of deliver some of this stuff? Uh, or is it just kind of like, all right, well, whatever, you know, let's go gung ho. As an actor, you don't usually have control over yeah, those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that, you know, I have been an advocate and and a friend to a lot of these communities and I I very much do not believe in anything that Julie says or does Mm -hmm. and ultimately the only way I could go about it was to to frame it in a way and and try and use it as an example of who not to be in the apocalypse and Mm -hmm. an example of you know these stories that we tell about bad people in order to highlight how horrific things that they do are and and to show that yes humans do bad things Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean we have to perpetuate them it doesn't mean we have to continue them and in fact hopefully these stories serve as a lesson for people to hold themselves and and each other accountable for their behavior and the way that they treat other people and these stigmas that have come up and hopefully will soon subside in our society. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my biggest gripe online most of the time is when people are like, uh, can you believe this character? I'm like, well, yeah, it's a villain. <laughs> what do you expect? Right. That, and that's where I get so uh, like exhausted with like online discourse sometimes. Cause it's just like, you can have bad characters and like, you know, evil characters on screen and they don't have to be like, you know, they, you could take them as teachable moments as opposed to saying they're emblematic of something. And that's mm-hmm. where I feel like the disparity sometimes, you know, dissolves sometimes, but. Well, and I feel like so much of the stand is about making choices. And there are so many people that have been hurt by all just the the massive trauma that they lived through with the apocalypse and I think it's fascinating to see these characters take all of that pain and just make a choice about what they want the rest of their lives to be and like in order to make an example of that you have to have characters like Julie and you have yeah. to have characters like Harold or everyone is Franny and the, there's no conflict and so I think it's I imagine it being really hard to say some of those words but I, I really appreciate that scene and again like I said there's a moment where like you can see the hurt in Julie and you can see where a lot of that is coming from so I'm I've just been fascinated watching it well thank you and that's I mean that's ultimately what I love about my job is the fact that I get to live a million different lives and I get to meet mm-hmm. a million and figure out how people think but ultimately try and hold a mirror up to the human experience and and cause people to question the way our world works and the way we interact with each other and, and hopefully take something from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Have you been watching the show week to week and what has the experience as a viewer been like for you? I have been, and I, as a Stephen King fan, I love it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. also there's so much of it that I haven't seen. And so mm-hmm. many people that I, I only met briefly or not at all. Um, I, I do have to say though, I've, I've known Owen since he was maybe 13. We did a, a tiny indie film together when I was 17 and he was 13. And 
I am so proud of him and just watching him grow up and do so many incredible things. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm over the moon with everything he gets to do in this. And every single week, I'm just on the edge of my seat watching him absolutely slay it. And I, I'm just so thrilled for him. Yeah. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah. It's like every week on this podcast, it's just been like, cause we, you know, each recap, we're like, who's the MVP? And it's just like, mm -hmm. it, like I almost feel like I have to like do a handicap and just be like, no, it's no Owen. You can't, you got to choose someone <laughs> Owen mm -hmm. at this point. Other than Owen. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> But on, uh, what I love about this, I mean, it, the stand is such a great stage for, you know, op, like epic performances. I mean, we saw it at the 1994 miniseries, you're seeing it with this one, but I am just like overwhelmed by like just where everyone's taking their characters. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I guess one of the last questions I want to ask with regards to performance is just like, how much were you able to kind of bring to you the, the character yourself or like how much was already pre-written even off the script for you? Like, did they give you books of just like, you know, these are some things to think about, about the character. Um, it, Cause there's so much, there's just so much like little inferences that are being drilled into every performance that I just wonder, like, is everyone just kind of flexing their own muscle? This whole process was sort of creative soul food for me, honestly, in the sense that we were allowed to, as far as character goes, bring to the, the project what we wanted to and what we saw in it and our own individual take. And obviously I had really long conversations with Taylor and Ben and with Josh Boone and all these people as and each director as we were kind of coming up with this and especially Nat is someone who I had the best time working with because he also loves to talk about these things so we spent a lot of time <laughs> figuring out okay what are we going to do and how is this going to be and and you know what is this because he had such a clear idea of what he wanted Lloyd to be and I had such a clear idea of what I wanted Julie to be and they just happened to work together very well mm -hmm. um, it was sort of the perfect puzzle pieces that just kind of fit but aside from that first episode um there was a good deal it once we got into Vegas there was a good deal of improvisation as well which I was shocked by mm -hmm. um because there were so many group scenes of all of us where you have Flag and Lloyd and Julie and everybody else and the directors would just go oh you know what you haven't said anything in a while just say something and I'm so oh, wow I'm sorry I'm in a scene with Alex Skarsgård as Randall Flag. you want me to interject right. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt Randall Flag. I feel like I'm right. dumb mm -hmm. um but, but I totally it, feel your pain on that one. Right. But it turned out to be a lot of fun because everyone was having so much fun with their characters. We all were down to play and just mm -hmm. see what happened and, and really bounce off of each other in that way. And it's been a long time since I've done a project where I've had that amount of, of freedom of character and freedom to, to really experiment because we also have the time, you know, yeah. I've, mm. I've the shows that I've done over the last several years have been so wonderful and I've never been one for character development on, on Arrow or Shadowhunters or anything else. But with this, we weren't under the, the clock of episodic television and we had more time to do another take and to play and experiment and try different colors and, and let the take run and see what came out of our mouths. Mm -hmm. uh, which was so exciting. And, you know, I remember there was a scene I did with Nat where he goes, I want, 
something in my hands. Do you have, you know, like a fruit cup or a something? <laughs> yeah. And suddenly the props man produced a fruit cup and a little tiny gold fork <laughs> and it made the scene. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. I love that. Uh, yeah, because like, even in the last, like the, the the sixth episode, he just, just does this weird thing where he starts dancing into the elevator and I didn't notice it the first time and it just was like cracking up because it's just like, you could tell that had to have been just like a, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go with it and mm-hmm. we'll see if it works. Well, and that's so the vibe of Vegas too, you know, like I, I don't, I don't know if that would fit in quite so well in Boulder. No, but like, no, it's probably like not. This, <laughs> it's the debauchery and that's fun. And that's, I'd love hearing that you kind of got to play around with your characters a little bit. And maybe that speaks to why you and Nat have such great chemistry and you seem like, like I was thinking you're like the power couple in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun to see that kind of life brought to characters that, that I don't necessarily think had as much spark in the book and in the 94 adaptation so it's just been delightful oh Um, thank you and you're right I mean so many of those little moments like not dancing into the elevator and I don't know I can't remember which episode this is in but there's one where we're on the balcony in in Vegas and I'm I was doing ADR and I'd totally forgotten I'd done this, but I'm wiping cocaine off Nat's nose and you yep. know, <laughs> uh-huh. lots of champagne in my other hand. And I just, I think back to those moments and go, what other project, what other world would any of this work? And it's only mm. in the world of Stephen King, only in this Randall Flagg absurdity would any of this fly. And I'm just so <laughs> glad I got to be a part of it. Oh, wow. Well, and you've mentioned that you're a big Stephen King fan. Are there any other stories you would like to be in or any other characters that you would like to play? Um, any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I I really, really, really love the It franchise. And mm. actually, um, somebody I worked with, Isaiah Mustafa, oh, was yeah. in It too. And we were actually shooting the Shadowhunters finale at the same time. And like the good dad he is, he brought me to set for a day, which was epic. <laughs> Um, to get to just go wander around the the cistern for a little bit and see what that all was all about. Mm-hmm. Also, oh, that must have been awesome! <laughs> it, it was so great. I'm I'm also looking to start directing as well. And there's oh, a wow. there's a short story I've got my eye on if I can get the rights to see if I can bring that to life and from a different perspective. Which one is it? Do you, would you would you disclose? Hey, I don't want to say yet because uh, I don't know if it's available, and I'll probably end up doing another one. But I. <laughs> There's something I love about the sort of Hitchcockian style of horror. And I think Stephen mm-hmm. King really lends itself to that in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I want to play and see what I can do on that side of things. Oof, well, there's I so hope. much room in his world, too, I think. You know, so yeah. many great characters. So that's oh. exciting. <laughs> Thank you. I, we always joked, too, because Lloyd and Julie have so many adventures. You know, we mm. want to... <laughs> Our, the crew would always joke about oh, the misadventures of Lloyd and Julie as a spinoff show. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll end up in Castle Rock somewhere. When, oh, that, wow. That oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I mean, would watch that. It could just be like basically like David Lynch's Wild at Heart. Just like two of you on like in a car just like going through America. Uh, oh, ravaging, just wreaking just, havoc in yeah. every locale. I like that. Well, you, I mean, you've been in The Stand, you've been in The Maze Runner, Shadowhunters, and even in Earl Stein adaptation, and they're all based on books. And so I wondered, are there any other authors that you love that you'd love to just adapt and work with? There's a fair few. I mean, I, I love books, and I grew up, I mean, I was never without a book in my hand, but I've also Aww. started uh, acquiring the rights to a few 
books with a couple of um, producing partners and we're looking at adapting them into some sort of on-screen adaptation. Um, but there's a few YA books now that we we have and we're um, developing and have spent a lot of this pandemic doing. And it's it's exciting to sort of build a world from the ground up. I got to witness it with Shadowhunters. I got to dive into it with Arrow and with The Stand and Maze Runner. And uh, it's, it's always... I love the mythology of the worlds and, and the sort of rules that you have to live within. And you read something in a book and it, it becomes so clear in your mind. And then you go, well, wait a minute. Now, how do I do this on screen? And how do I bring mm -hmm. this to life in a way that's going to translate to a larger audience? And uh, it's it's just such an exciting prospect and a fun process to, to see what happens. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, and so I imagine during the pandemic that you've probably been reading a lot and working on kind of trying to adapt, but is there anything else that's been um, keeping you busy during this this time? I keep uh, going back. I found a bunch of old music on my computer that I've been releasing from time to time, and they actually used one in, in the first episode of The Stand for just a moment, um, which I, I thought that really... was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's out in the world. I've been doing a lot of that. Um, developing some things. I actually, I shot a horror movie on Zoom Ooh. with a bunch of folks, which was a lot of fun. Oh my God, oh, wow. that's awesome. Yeah, my my friend Luke Baines, who I acted with on Shadowhunters, and my friend Nick Simon, who's an incredible horror director, they wrote this script and called me and said, all right, we found a way, this was back in April or May, they said, we found a way that we can shoot an entire movie without anybody ever being in the same room. <laughs> Oh, wow. And at that, at that point, we were also starved for human interaction. We went, sure, Seriously. let's watch this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank goodness for our director of photography, because he had to teach six actors how to light and set up cameras and do sound and DIT and every other department. Um, but it turned out really lovely, and, and they're going to go out and try and sell it it now that it's done but it was a fun kooky movie that turned into a, an experiment that turned out oh sure and I, I imagine that helped pass the time for Lynn also like I mean that's one of the things I loved about this year um which I use sparingly because that's not a great you know word to right. describe 2020 <laughs> I guess but um one of the but I think I do think it like and I've talked to you know a bunch of horror luminaries about this is that it really did like kind of take us out of the comfort zone, but put us into an other comfort zones. Like, you know, because we got bored in our own comfort zones. So we're finding new mm -hmm. things like, you know, like cooking. And um, I mean, at one point, I think I've gone through like 60 puzzles at this point. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, so for you, I mean, is there anything else that you've been kind of, I mean, I imagine obviously doing this film, you, it helped you, especially if you want to go behind the camera because you were able to do the lighting and, and, and all that other stuff that you hadn't done previously. Is there stuff that, that like other tricks of the trade or any hobbies like during this past year that took you out of the comfort zone a little bit i've been i've been doing a lot of trail running uh Ooh, <laughs> nice what, what little alcoves of la i can find mm. i've also I, I love to bake i'm a huge baker and oh, wow. it was a nice excuse during the heavy lockdown to be able to get out of my house for a minute to i baked i did what i call reverse trick-or-treating <laughs> i baked a bunch of cookies and put them all in bags and then drove to my friend's houses, set it at the end of their driveway, waved <laughs> from a social distance and then drove to the next house. So I got to see human faces. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it sees something different than the four walls of my house, which is um, great. That's, that's <laughs> such a cool idea. I love it. I know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I'm so jealous. You're in California. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm uh, ooh, so jealous. Cause like I've, I have a couple of friends that are out there and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm over the weekend, you know, we went out to the, you know, Griffith observatory or, you know, we, you know, we hiked up there and I was, and they're like, Oh, what are you up to? And I'm like, well, you know, um, we're in Chicago. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's now it's cold. Um, Wrigley, <laughs> Wrigley fields closed. The movie theaters are, are done. Uh, so, you know, Hey, we went for a walk to target. That was cool. Uh, so Ooh. it was, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's, I feel like California is in, in some sense of, uh, sort of, in a like those are outdoors. It's like weird. It's like this inverse where it's like, I almost wish I was in more rural, um, natural settings at this point. Um, although I do miss the seasons. I, I will say you're very lucky because in yeah. California, it, it doesn't feel as though any time has passed for almost <laughs> yeah. I'm so mm-hmm. used to traveling and I'm so used to being in, you know, Canada or different climates and uh, you also have the best pizza where you are (laughs) yeah it's not too bad it's not too bad (laughs) Um, I'm very jealous because I currently cannot get to the good pizza so (laughs) enjoy that for those of us who can't but but yeah that's that's so wonderful yeah what is uh what's next then I mean you you, uh, you're obviously shopping the film um, but are you going back into production anytime soon? I know LA, I think today they announced at the Hollywood Reporter that I guess production is starting to resume somewhere in LA or something like that. So I imagine some shoots are happening, but. Yeah, I would hope so. I've had a lot of projects on hold for almost a year now. There was a project that was supposed to shoot last March that may not shoot till this March or after. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So it's just been a process of hearing, okay, what's going to go? What's not? Oh, this has been pushed. Now this other thing's been pushed. And I'm just mm-hmm. hoping that they don't all, because there's four or five of them kind of circulating, trying to be scheduled. And I'm just hoping they don't all happen at the same time. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I like to do them all. There's some really exciting prospects that I have and, and characters that I've, you know, are, are of the kind that I've been dying to play for a long time. So we'll see. Well, excited. I mean, as we saw here, um, and basically your entire resume, I mean, you <laughs> just take characters and take them off the page and onto the screen and into our living yes. rooms for the most part. So I'm <laughs> very excited to see where you go from here. Um, very mm-hmm. excited to also see where Julie goes from here. I mean, I we, we the last we've seen is episode six, so we have no mm-hmm. idea oh what the yeah. hell is going to happen. <laughs> <at this point. laughs> There's a lot more to go, and Julie, oh, only, wow. gets worse. Julie only gets worse, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I like to see frame her as a cautionary tale because mm-hmm. you know there's there's a very definitive ending to to her story and mm-hmm. uh, i'm excited for people to see that as well totally i'm yeah. excited too yeah. yeah well well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this has been a blast and um especially after a fucking wild day for listeners by the way <laughs> right. this is literally happening like hours after trump is being impeached for the second time mm-hmm. but so this has just been a very nice reprieve from the chaos of reality i guess so um yes, thanks thank again you so much thank you i'm honored to to be here i'm an avid listener of your podcast so. oh, thanks. that is an oh. honor for sure so i know <laughs> well let's uh let's keep in touch and uh hopefully we'll uh, talk down the road uh, about another king adaptation for sure yeah. <laughs> thank you and enjoy enjoy the rest of the stand yeah thanks thank a lot you. have a good one Isn't she cool? I mean, I yes. Ju- oh just, my goodness! I just love her. Just love her, and I, I love that we got to talk about like Rocky Horror, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I I do wish that I could have been at some of those after parties, or you know, for the the shooting. That would have been that that sounds like it would have been fun. But. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It was really fun insight into this character that's like, she's just popping on the screen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It, it's, I, I watched like all these episodes again and again. And especially in six, you know, she does, she has definitely a, a smaller role in that episode, which is coming up. We're not going to spoil that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's just interesting because she still pops in the background of the screen, yeah. you know, when she's there. So, so memorable. I love mm-hmm. it. Love it. So, this has yeah. been fun. Um, I mean, what's what's next now? I mean, I guess we're going to have more stand. So we're yep. going to be talking about uh, next week's episode, The Vigil, uh, as we talked about in this week's episode. That's um, right. Lots of, uh, lots of stuff going on in that. I mean, you watched that episode, Jen, today. So, you know. I did, yeah. I watched yeah. it a couple hours ago. Lots of things to talk about. It Ooh, is I- a... Is- yeah, we it's can't a fire use, episode. I was just gonna say, yeah, there was an, there was an adjective I was gonna use, and I was like, eh, is that a spoiler? Right. Who knows? But look, yeah. you've read the stand. If you're listening to this episode, you and probably know series, what we're talking about. You probably know where this is gonna be going. Um, there are many many uh, fury uh, things happening uh, in this. Is it fury or fiery? I can't remember. I always fiery, fiery, yeah, I think eh, fiery. whatever. I even yeah. though it, I, I almost because there's a band called Fiery Furnaces and I used to always just call them Fury hmm. Furnaces and people are like, what the fuck are you talking about are they furious like I was like well that no, sounds I, cool though I like, thought it was if you're cool gonna too. be a, fu- a furnace be a furious furnace yes you know? yes because well, the fire is implied it is it is fire starter Charlie McGee um, yes one of your favorite <laughs> books so. do you have an hour to talk about it? <laughs> yeah let's do it uh, no um well look maybe we'll get to Firestarter soon with I believe the commentary is actually going to be coming Ooh. up soon so maybe we'll have a chance there but I know this month you're actually going to be talking to uh, us about Cujo so um or maybe are you on that commentary track I, I don't, don't know, know if I'm on that one or not well maybe you could but... pop in because it's just going to be an all-out losers club party because yeah we I'll love just talking yell about Cooge. like Cooge every once in a while yeah yeah well that is really outside of the stand really like the only thing we have left uh, uh you know for the the month of june no june i'm jumping ahead <laughs> january uh god i wish it was june could you imagine mm-hmm. to just be months away from halloween and we have the summer ahead of us but um right no we're still here in january we got many episodes left of the stand more interviews in fact uh we're gonna be talking to owen teague uh, <laughs> which will be in your feed i believe next week or the week after we're still deciding um my mvp yeah, yeah, and we're still trying to get some more interviews uh, down the road as we, as the characters literally go down the road <laughs> to Vegas, uh, you know, in the coming weeks. So, look, this has been fun. We got to shut the the doors here at the suite, and we got to leave because um, I believe Tom Colin is leaving soon, and uh, yeah. we we got we got to go join him. Um, we got to drive that truck up. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> We just got to say, Mom. It's this is what happens when you when you get to the, the episode of time. But no spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> but we'll be back next week. But until then, we'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant nights. Yeah. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you. Consequence Podcast Network.